Thanks for being, bringing the church into this room. I was yelling at Miss Nora. I got her, I got her on her feet quick. That's good. Hey, um, these ladies are heading over to, to minister to the children in particular of some of our International Mission Board families. So they're going to be coming from Eastern Europe and some of that Black Sea area, and they're going to meet up with them. And those families, this is a precious time for those missionaries to get re, you know, re-energized and refocused. And they're going to be doing uh, ministry to their children. So let's pray for their health and safety and ask God's blessing on the work. Let's lift them up, okay? 
Father, we thank you for these sweet saints, and we thank you for their calling, and we thank you for their gifting, and we thank you, Lord, for providing this opportunity to go and to minister to these precious children, these missionaries that sacrifice so much. God, bring them back to us with stories of transformation, of hope, and, and strengthening, and we promise to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for bringing the church in the room. Let's stand together. Let's praise God. Dark tried to hide you and steal you away. Death tried to keep you inside of the grave. The enemy fought you, he tried, but he lost. Cannot be stopped. When we cried for freedom, you tore down the walls. The weight of our burdens, you carried it all. Church, let's sing it out. Come on. Mover of mountains, breaker of chains, Jesus' triumph over the grave. We sing hallelujah. The battle is won. Nothing can stand against our God. As we stand on your victory and shout out. Stop our God. There's nothing.
morning. He's worthy. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Psalms 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so who will I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, so who will I be afraid of? So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. That's in Psalms 23. I have this confidence because I've seen the faithfulness of God. The still inside the storm, the promise of the shore. I trust the power of your word. Yes, I do. Enough to keep your kingdom first. Beyond the barren place, beyond the ocean waves. Let's sing it, church. When I walk through the waters, I won't be overcome. When I go through the river, I will not be drowned. My God will make a way, so I'm not afraid.
for that this morning. Father, we thank you that we are able to put our whole trust in you because you are faithful. You are faithful, God. You never fail. You never let us down. We may not always understand your plan, God, but you go before us. You go behind us. You are always beside us. And we worship you because of that. 1 Peter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is our hope this morning, church. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. Is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of Declare the grave has no claim on me. Yeah. 
people said amen Father, what we know is that it will take all of eternity for us to sing of all the ways that you are good. You are eternally good. And it will take forever for us to praise you for all that you are. And we're so, so grateful that we get to gather in this place today and to praise you and to celebrate you and to offer up to you what is rightfully yours. Lord, that we, we lift up to you ourselves. We, we lift up this family of faith to you. We, we pray for families who this week have experienced loss. Pray for the Fry family and the Phones family. Pray for um, others who, who have been sick and, and dealing with sickness. We pray for those who are going to be traveling. Some have already begun to travel. And we pray, Lord, for, for those who are, are missing loved ones and, and who feel a deep sorrow. Lord, we're so grateful that in all things you are good. Your love endures forever. Help us today to, to believe that. And as we study your word, give us insight into the truth of the doctrine of the reality that gives us every reason to constantly have hope and be those with your courage. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you would, go ahead and be seated. If you're a guest, thanks for worshiping with us. There's a card in front of you. If you wouldn't mind to fill out that orange side, take it out here to Guest Connect. We want to meet you. we got a gift for you. Everyone else, uh, use the blue side. And, of course, you can use your uh, smart device if you want to pull out your phone. Uh, turn on your camera, point it at that QR code, and just go, uh, go straight to that connection there. And we can exchange information that way. Ladies, I want to remind you we got a really big event coming up for you all on the 29th, on the Tuesday, that Tuesday night. And fellows, we've got an event the next morning, Wednesday morning. And again, this is a way for us to connect. This is a way for us to really accomplish a lot of what it means to have these one another's, these 54 one another's that we read in Scripture. And so let me encourage you to sign up and be a part of this catalytic event that's really going to encourage you and your presence there will be an encouragement to others. You know, God is at work in our church family. This morning we want to, again, remind you of those who have made public profession of their saving faith in Jesus Christ. We had Anna and Madeline and, and Griffin, all who uh, were baptized because they have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. And we see others that, that have come to faith that we will soon be watching make that same public profession of saving faith. I'm really glad that you're here this morning um, this is one of those sermons for me, for me, it, it, it's, 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 it's capstone. It's, it's it. It's, it's kind of like, if you get this one, you get everything else. We're, we're going to finish the, the book of, of Acts this morning. We've been talking about what we have as God's people. And we've been doing that by, by just walking through chapters at, at a time. And I want you to know this series is basically kind of the, the first step into uh, finishing uh, what we're going to do next year. And next year is going to be a big year. We're, uh, we've got a series. It's called Good News in Four Letters. Good News in Four Letters. Uh, the four letters are Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. And we're going to walk through those four epistles. And, and we're going to understand the good news. We're going to understand the gospel. Now, to, to help with that, we're going to uh, once again encourage you to purchase one of those um, journal Bibles. Some of you have been using the one for Acts. And so we're going to make those available. The first sermon, the first uh, series that we're going to do, let me say it that way. The first series is going to be Galatians. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Uh, we're going to get those ordered. Hopefully they'll be here next week. But I want you to think about this. Think about not only getting one for you, Think about getting one for uh, two or three friends that you know are not actively uh, engaged in gathering for worship. And give it to them and say, this gift comes with strings attached. you got to at least go to one worship service with me in, in, in January. And have them come and put it to good use and to hear something of the gospel. And so, again, we're going to start with Galatians. We'll, we'll start on that. Actually, I think it's the 15th. We, we've got a couple of other sermons. For instance, on January the 1st, I'll be preaching uh, what is, again, a, a kickoff sermon, a very important sermon. We're going to really go into detail on what the gospel is. And I'm going to give you a phrase today just so you can begin to pray about it and know that you're going to hear this reverberate throughout 2023. And, and the statement is this. The gospel you believe determines the life you live. The gospel you believe determines the life that you live. Every, everyone has a gospel. Gospel is good news. Everyone has a gospel, a story that they're basing their existence off of. Not everyone has the gospel. So on January 1st, I'm going to explain the gospel. January the 8th, I'm going to show you what it looks like in a person's life. And then we're going to go hard charging into the book of Galatians. And again, I hope that you'll bring some folks with you. Now today, 
We're finishing Acts. We're going to cover eight chapters because we're living hope and we can do that. All right. We can do this, everybody. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Let me encourage you to to go ahead and get that Bible out. Get your scriptures out if you brought them with you and keep them open. We're going to work our way through these eight chapters and you're going to want to reference these. I'm going to give you some additional scriptures uh, that, that, that you will find uh, hopefully helpful as I have, have found them helpful. Now, the, the book of Acts, I, was, I, was, I made a decision um, back in the spring how I was going to do this, and I still think it's the right thing. I was going to start with what I'm about to tell you right now, but I'm ending the series with what I'm about to tell you right now because my hope is you've collected enough data in our studies of Acts to be able to say, oh, I see that, I understand it. What we have is a reality, and not everybody gets it. A lot of people miss reality. There is a single reality, and, and, and either, you, you, either you hit it or you don't, all right? So when I think about reality, when I, as I understand reality, it's biblical reality. Biblical reality is true reality. All of the realities miss the mark. And so I, I, like to, I like to think of biblical reality or ultimate reality as a, of course, a football goalpost. And so the, the crossbar, the bottom line is the Word of God, the Bible. If you, if you don't have that as the foundation, if you do not at least get up to that level of asserting the authority of Scripture, you'll never reach reality. Now, once you've come to the place where you can assert and see the ultimate truth in Scripture, there, there are also crossbars. One of them is God's sovereignty, and the other one is human responsibility. If you get outside of God's sovereignty and fall into determinism, you've missed reality. If you get outside of human responsibility and you fall into humanism or deism, you miss reality. Reality is based upon the authority of God's word within the confines of God's sovereignty. And I like to use Psalm 139 verse 16 as, as kind of that, that far-leaning portion of Scripture that, that speaks to the, the ultimate authority of God. It says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Before you were born, every one of your li- days of your lives were recorded in God's book. That's not determinism, though. That's just God's sovereignty. What we need to understand is that we all have responsibility. And I I appreciate 2 Corinthians 5.10 as it it applies to understanding our responsibility. This, This helps us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So God is in charge and we're responsible. All of that based upon the authority of God's word. And when we get that, we get reality. And when we believe in it and we live in that truth, that biblical reality, we get God's courage. Some of you are struggling with anxiety. Some of you are are struggling with emotions that are overwhelming you. And a lot of that has to do with the fact you're not, you're, you're missing God's sovereignty, your responsibility in the word of God. You're missing. You're shanking it in your understanding and, and the way you're approaching your life. What the book of Acts assumes is that you understand God's word is the authority and that God is sovereign and you're responsible. And within that, 
there is this reality that we get to experience in God's courage. Without God's courage, you're going to be overrun with other emotions. And so today, as, as we look at the text, I want to make sure we understand God's courage. I put it on the screen for you. God's courage is the supernatural benefit bestowed on those who trust and obey God's word, knowing that no matter what, no matter what, God is going to work out what is ultimately, eternally best. Today, we're going to seek to understand God's courage as we walk through these very important eight chapters of the book of Acts. And it's going to help us understand God's courage. Now, to get there, if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 21. While you're working your way there, let me remind you what we've covered. Acts 1 and 2, Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, the church begins to live out what it means to be the church. Acts 3 through 8, the church begins to experience persecution, and the gospel goes to the Samaritans and to the Ethiopian treasurer. Acts 9, the apostle Paul is saved, and he is recognized as the instrument God will use to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts 10, Peter is used to open up the door for the, the church at Jerusalem and the church everywhere made up of that time of Jewish people to accept all the Gentiles that are about to pour into the kingdom of God. So he goes and hangs out with Cornelius and his family. They get saved and, and there's a transformation <laughs> that he has to go in chapters 11 and 12 and explain to the church at Jerusalem exactly what happened and why. Meanwhile, Herod has arrested James uh, the brother of John and kills him. He also arrested Peter, but Peter was miraculously saved. Uh, meanwhile, Acts eleven twenty six, we begin to be called Christians. Our family becomes to be known as Christians uh, from the church there at Antioch. And we see at the end of, of chapter 12, Herod dying for not honoring God and Barnabas and Saul and John also called Mark heading into Antioch. Now, what we covered last week was Acts 13 through 20. And these are Paul's missionary journeys. And what we saw there was how God was going to accomplish his purpose to, to reach the people. From this section of scripture, we saw Paul planted churches, raised up leaders, and prepared uh, for, for his arrest in Jerusalem. Paul was to be arrested. And it was a part of God's plan. It was a part of what God was going to do to bring about his purpose. We, we heard about a guy named Agabus. Some of you will remember this in Agabus in chapter 11. Agabus was the one who prophesied that there would be a famine that led to the first gift for Christ so that the churches could raise money for the church of Jerusalem and for other missionaries. Agabus shows up today in our public reading. And he tells Paul what a lot of people have been telling Paul is that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, that he's going to suffer. And the, Paul's response is that, is that he's got to live his life for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so this is what we hear him declare. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope you, that you do, you should be in Acts 21 right now. We're going to go to verses 10 through 14. Colby's going to read for us this section of Scripture. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word again. We're in Acts chapter 21. Hopefully you got a quick background on how we got to this point. And now let's, let's see what these folks are saying to the Apostle Paul about his going to Jerusalem. Colby, read that for us. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt. Um, the, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. 
Then Paul answers, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not only ready to be imprisoned, but even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Colby. Good job. And so that le- if you would go ahead and be seated and pray for the preaching of God's word. And so that last section, let the will of the Lord be done. You know, th- this, was, this was Paul's motto. This is how he lived his life because he understood that God was, resp- God was sovereign and he was responsible. So Paul goes on and, and there in chapter 21, stay right there for just a minute. And, and he gets there and he meets with James. James, again, uh, is now the leader of the church. This is Jesus' brother. He wrote the first book of the New Testament. It's not in our book, Bibles. It's not seen as first book of James. It's probably the earliest of, of all the manuscripts of all the letters we have. And so he's leading the church. Peter's out. James is there. So Peter show, uh, Paul shows up to the city of Jerusalem, and there's a rumor going around that, that Paul is antinomian. That is, that he is, he is uh, downplaying and, and maybe even criticizing uh, the Jewish faith. And so look in verse 21. So James comes to him, and, and he says, Look, they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. So to squelch the rumor, James says, Paul, do this. We want you to participate in basically a, 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 a temple activity. It, it's, it's basically kind of a refreshment, a, a recommitment. There's other guys that are going through it. We want you to pay for them and for you. And, and, and you need to go into the temple and to do this. He said, of course, I don't have any problem doing this. Now, Paul had a Gentile who was traveling with him. Gentiles were not allowed into the temple. So when Paul came out of the temple, people went nuts because they assumed and others began to probably tell a lie that this Gentile, by Paul's authority, was allowed into this area that, that was, was against their tradition. So they jerked Paul up and they're going to kill him. There is this huge disturbance there in Jerusalem, so much so that the Roman authorities hear about it. And, and the proconsul, the, the, he sends in, he sends in centurions. That means he sends in leaders with hundreds of men under their authority. So hundreds of men are now, Roman soldiers are coming into Jerusalem. Paul's probably getting smacked around a little bit by, by these Jews and getting jerked up. So they grab him up, pull him out of there. They're about to beat him. And they arrest him, and Paul says, "Um, is it lawful for you to smack a Roman citizen? Which it wasn't, by the way. (laughs) Shouldn't be allowed to do that to anybody. But what we see here is Paul utilizing his gift. He has the gift of not only this strong Jewish history, but he's also a Roman citizen, which provides him opportunity. And so the next day, Paul is brought before what, what we see in our scriptures called the council uh, this is the Sanhedrins made up of Pharisees and Sadducees who oversee and are the authorities of the Jews in Jerusalem. And the tribune is there, the Roman tribune, he's watching on. And, and what we see in Paul's explanation is one of the first things that, that we have to have if we're going to have God's courage. It's one of the must-haves. If, if you're going to, to live beyond the, the worries of your, of your days... If you're going to live beyond and transcend the pain and the problems that are constantly going to be headed at you and have God's courage, then then there's going to be the required of you to have faith and confidence in something supernatural and significant. Take note of what it is. God's courage 
God's courage comes from confidence in the truth of Christ's resurrection. Paul believed that Jesus Christ, God in flesh, lived a holy life, died on the third day, and was raised. That Jesus Christ is alive. And he staked his whole existence on it. As a matter of fact, Paul believed and taught that without the truth of Christ's resurrection, the Christian faith is lived in vain. This is 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That's pretty strong words. He's basically saying if, if you don't have confidence in the resurrection, Christianity is a waste of time. But if you do believe in the resurrection and you're confident in it, well, then you will gain God's courage. And Paul, he had no doubt about the resurrection of Jesus. And so when he was standing here before the council, look, if you will, with me in verse 11. He sees everyone there and he says, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And so the Sadducees and the Pharisees immediately begin into a brawl because the Sadducees don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in miracles. So here Paul, as this Pharisee, is proclaiming a part of the gospel that some of the Pharisees tended to believe. Now, verse 10, and when the discussion became violent, so somebody started, somebody threw a punch, all right? This was not just an academic discourse. This is getting crazy. The tribune, that's the Roman official, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring, them, bring him into the barracks. So Paul's arrested. And that night, look what happens. Verse 11 is powerful. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Jesus, the resurrected Lord that he proclaimed was raised. He said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul knew the truth of the resurrection. And he knew what God had said quite clearly was going to happen to him. There's, there's one thing to know that you're going to experience pain and another thing to actually experience it. I mean, all the years playing football, I, I knew that there would come a day that I would, I would break a bone and it would hurt. Can I just tell you, when I broke five ribs, it exceeded expectations. And that's what often happens in life. We kind of imagine what it's going to be like. The Apostle Paul knew he was going to be arrested. Can I just tell you another testimony? There's one thing to know you're going to get arrested. There's another thing to get arrested. It feels very different. It's not as cool as they make it sound like on TV. So here the Apostle is. He knew it was coming. Theoretically. But when he experienced it, he had God's courage. Because he had confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. And so when Jesus showed up, he wasn't surprised. And when Jesus said, take courage, I'm with you. You know, Paul already had already met Jesus this way. In Acts chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus showed up and knocked him down. Well, on this day, Jesus was lifting him up. And he was, he was helping him now to begin to fulfill the promise that was made about him. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Remember, this is the promise that was made to, to Ananias about the apostle Paul. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul was going to be sent to Rome to testify about the facts about Jesus. Friends, this is not some made up story. Jesus Christ, holy life, 
sacrificial death, resurrection power. It's a fact. This is not something people made up. The Apostle Paul experienced it. It was experienced by hundreds, then millions, now billions of people all over this planet. And from these facts come God's courage, this confidence that is gained in the truth of Christ's resurrection. But you got to know the facts. Can you, from Scripture, explain to a kindergartner why you know that you know that Jesus is raised from the dead? You should be able to do this like that. You should be able to go to the, the basic scriptures, Old Testament and New, that speak to this. Many can't do it because many don't study the scriptures. Friends, 2023 is coming. You need to have a private, personal plan for studying God's word. You need to have a plan with your group of how you're going to study God's word. And you need to be in a quip class. You need to have a plan for how you're going to study next year. How you're going to grow in your capacity to, to be able to recite to yourself the facts concerning not just the resurrection, but all the promises of God so that you can live with the confidence of God in the risen Lord. Again, Paul knew that he was on his, on his way to Jerusalem. And he knew it a long time ago. As a matter of fact, on Paul's Second missionary journey in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome. Isn't this interesting? He was, uh, he was making his way back to the churches that he had founded. And so uh, in, in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, look what happened. Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Paul was so certain at that moment he was there, and we don't know if he was in Greece or in Corinth, but they're really close together, that he wrote a letter to the church at Rome. The book of the Bible known as Romans in our Bibles, it's that letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And what he did with that letter is he was so confident that he was going to be going to Rome and even beyond there to Spain, he wrote them a letter. And so that letter, a portion of it, says this in Romans 15, 24. He said, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have joined your company for a while. Now look, Paul had no idea how that was going to happen. He didn't know how he was going to go to Rome via Jerusalem and then on to Spain. He, he had no idea, but God had spoken in his word. And he knew that God was sovereign and he was responsible. And that that was enough for him to have God's courage for him to go forward. Friends, we may not know how God's going to get us where he has us going. But here's what we can know for certain. His word is true. His power to sovereignly guide our lives is real. And we're simply responsible to walk in obedience to him. If you're feeling anxious today, if you're worried about things you can't control, if you're overwhelmed with what's happening in the world, here's where you're falling up short. Here's why you're missing it. Because you're not believing the promises of God's word at a minimum. You're not trusting in the sovereignty of God and you're not walking in obedience simply to that word, trusting all outcomes to the authority of God. The moment you do that is the moment you're free. The moment you do that is the moment you have God's courage and this is what Paul had because of the resurrection because God had sent his son who is now alive and living in him and now there's this power that he had that we had look what Paul wrote in Philippians 3 10 he said he's praying for these things that he wants he said, that I may know him that is Jesus and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death confidence in the truth of Christ's resurrection gives us God's courage and Paul had God's courage. 
And so he continued on his, on his journey to Rome. And so you're, you're there in Acts chapter 23. If you're not, get back there. So he, Jesus comes and says, you're going to testify about me in Rome. Don't worry. God is sovereign. You're responsible. This is the word of God. And so the way he got there, really interesting. So you see in verses 12 through 22, there is a plot to kill the apostle Paul by the Jews. So he had, to, he had to overcome that little plot. Those guys, that's interesting to me, they took a, um, they, they, they took a vow that they wouldn't eat until, until they had killed Paul. They didn't kill Paul. You think they died of starvation or they gave that up? I mean, these are things we need to ask when we get to heaven, all right? But, you know, what happened with those guys? So he overcomes that. But then go to, uh, go to verse 23 of chapter 23 where you are. And all the way through chapter 26, what we see here is a two-year span. The Apostle Paul gets sent north to Caesarea, and while he's there, he preaches the gospel to kings, just as Jesus said he was, and that he would. And he's, and he's talking to these officials and to these leaders in the Roman government for two years. And, 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 and you know, there's so many times in our lives when we're going to say, God, hurry up. Let's go. You said I was going to do this. Paul's in Caesarea for two years under arrest. What's he doing? He's trusting in God's sovereignty. He's acting with his responsibility under and based on the authority of God's spoken word, of God's word. And so there's courage there and there's political injustice there. Go, to, go on and look, look closely with me at, at chapter 25. This is an important section in 9 and 12. This explains how Paul got to Rome. So what was happening is the Jews were coming up to Caesarea and they were bribing the officials there to send Paul back to Jerusalem so they could kill him. And Paul knew it. He knew what was going on. He, he, he knew God was sovereign, but other people had responsibility for their actions and he needed to be wise. So look what happens in chapter 25. Let's go to verse 9. It says, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, remember he wanted their money. He was taking the bribe to get Paul down to Jerusalem so they could kill him said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem there, be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong as you yourself know very well. I, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. So what is he saying? He says, I'm a Roman citizen. You don't have the authority to send me back to Rome to be killed by these people. So look what he, he says, I appeal to Caesar. Only a Roman citizen could do this. A Roman citizen had the right to have their case tried before the ultimate authority. Then Hephaestus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Remember last week we talked about the fact that, that he had two names, Saul and Paul. Saul is Jewish name because God needed a man who knew the Old Testament and could make sense of the, of the new covenant with it. He also needed a man who could use the Pax Romana, the, a man who was a Roman citizen who could make his way through the system to take the gospel to the ultimate authorities of the day. And that's what the Apostle Paul was. So go to chapter 27 and look what happens. So he's being sent and, and to get to Rome, he's got to take a boat and lo and behold, it's a horrific storm that they have to go through. And this thing gets so bad that everyone starts freaking out. And, and, and once again, there has to be courage. Paul needs God's courage. And he finds God's courage in contentment. Not contemptment, contentment. 
meant. And so that's the second thing you need if you're going to have God's courage. It's where it comes from. Second thing, write it down. God's courage comes from contentment in the revelation of God's will. So in the midst of this chaos, and if you look at chapter 27, there's chaos. There's a storm. There's soldiers that are saying, hey, we got to kill all these prisoners. And then we ourselves have to figure out a way how we're going to flee and how we're going to make it. This is absolute chaos. And, and the authority knew Paul, didn't want to see him killed. And so go to chapter 27. Look at verse 22. Look at what the apostle Paul does here. Speaking to the leaders and everyone on the boat, he says, Yet now I urge you to take heart. Now this, is, this word, take heart, those two English words, it's one Greek word. Euthamita. Euthamita. A good, solid translation would be, Y'all be of good courage with that accent. Y'all be of good courage. And here's why. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So I can imagine if I'm there, no loss of life. Yay, only the ship. What? Seems like the boat would be an important part of the process. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and of whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. What's he relying on? The authority of God's word, the sovereignty of God, and human responsibility. You stay in that, you've got God's confidence. You stay in that, you're able to get it. Think about the, not, the information that was given here. Not a lot, in my opinion. So here are the things that, that Paul was told. No one's going to die. Yay! The ship won't make it. What? Don't be afraid. Yay! You will testify in Rome. We'll see. I'm afraid if it had been me, I would have wanted to ask a few questions. Anybody else want to want to ask a few questions? For me, I'm glad I wasn't there because I would have wanted to say, that sounds great. How are we going to make it but the boat doesn't? It seems like we need a boat. I, call me crazy, but we're a long way from Rome. We're in the middle of an ocean. It seems like we need a boat. Some of you right now, you're living your life and you think you know what you need. If I don't have this job, if I don't have this income, if I don't have this relationship, if I don't have my life go this certain way, if I don't have these people along the way, if all this doesn't work out, then I can't live out God's will. I can't be excited. I can't have God's courage. Friends, you're wrong. Paul didn't need a boat and you don't need what you think you need because God is sovereign. All you got to do is be responsible for what he's commanded you to do. And that's what he did. He, he took heart. He, he, he was willing to believe. You know, this, this year, I know it doesn't look like it. Some of you will find this very hard to believe. But believe it or not, this week, I turned 50. Come on. 50 years old. And uh, I, every day I pray. I write out my prayers. And I have a section for praise, a section for thanks, and then a, a, a section to, to ask God to be at work. On that day, I had a long section of thanks. I'm, I was able to thank God for how faithful he had been to me. To think about how some, some nobody, truck driver daddy, got three degrees. How does that work? How does a person as awful as me become a pastor? How, how does that work? God has been so good to me. 
I've learned something. I've learned to be content. The Apostle Paul, as the Lord showed up, as his angel showed up, he gave him information, not everything he probably wanted to know, but enough for him to stand strong, for him to be content. See, you learn to be content. This is Philippians 4.11. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Everybody wants to quote 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and go Tebow. But no. In the context, it's I've learned to be content. No matter what happens, I can do whatever God has me go through. God's courage comes from the contentment that God's word is true. That God is sovereign. And that we can trust his plan. We can walk in his ways. We can, we can be aware of, of, of his goodness to us. Friends, there's a whole Bible full of wonderful promises. Let me give you my top five. This is just real quick. This is free, by the way. Five of them in no, t- no particular order. First of all, Jesus is always with us. This is Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always to the end of the age. That's enough reason right there to be content no matter what you go through because you never go alone. Second, when God is working everything for good for a particular people, Romans 28, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What a great promise. God's with us. Everything's going to work for good. God's plan is perfect. This is Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's got the plan, and it's perfect. God has everything we need. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of, of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've got it all. There's nothing that we need to get through life. God is going to finish what he started. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to, a, to completion at the day of, of Jesus Christ. Friends, these five revelations, it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's thousands in the word of God. If, if you can learn those and you can be content in what God has revealed, knowing that God is sovereign and you are responsible, you will gain God's courage. It comes from contentment. Paul was content. He had contentment in the revelation of God's will, and he saw God provide. So you're in chapter 27. Look what happened in verse 39. So they survive a shipwreck. Everyone makes it. Some of them couldn't even swim. They're just holding on to broken boards. They just needed the ship to, to break apart so everybody could grab a board to get aboard. Who knew? Then you look in, in chapter 28, the first six verses. God didn't say anything about a snake bite. And yet he gets bit by a snake. A poisonous snake that should have killed him, but he didn't die. Friends, God's not going to give you every detail of every bad thing that's going to come your way. But what you can know is that God's got the plan. He's sovereign. You're responsible. Trust his word. Paul was bit by a snake and he survived, which made the people say something about this guy's different which led them to ask him to do works of miracles, which he did. So all kinds of people got healed. And in appreciation for the healing, if you look at what happened there in uh, verses uh, 7 through 10 of Acts 28, they give them all the supplies that they need to get onto Rome. Again, he needed to be bit by the snake so that he wouldn't die, so that they could know he had power, so that God could reveal his power, so that they would provide what he needed for the trip. Sometimes it takes a snake bite. Just take it. Just take it in faith. God's got a plan for it. Why did I rip my ACL? Maybe there's a nurse that needs to know what happens when, when a person who trusts in Jesus Christ rips an ACL. You say, well, what, why did I have this health issue? Why do I have these? So that you can show 
the goodness of God in whatever you go through. We don't know. God knows. God is sovereign. We're responsible. His word is true. So the apostle gains comfort as he entered Rome. And comfort is the third thing. Write it down and remember this. Comfort. God's courage comes from comfort in the fellowship of God's people. There's nothing like the comfort that is found in the fellowship of God's people. When Paul saw these brothers and considered how far they had come to meet him, he took courage. Look at, look at Acts 28, go to verse 14. It says, there, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. Look what happened to Paul. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. I heard it this week. I can't tell you how many times I've heard God's people from our faith family say, I don't know how people go through something like this without God and God's people. Friends, you're going to go through it. Don't go through it alone. Know that Christ has been raised. Know that God's will, you can be content in his word. And know that God has provided his people to go through it with you. There's a natural and supernatural element to this. The natural element is a common grace. God made us all as communal creatures, as human beings. We're made for relationships. And any good relation you have is a grace from God, even if you're not saved. But if you are saved, you are saved and you have now a supernatural bond. And you now belong to the family of God so that supernaturally, when God's people gather, even just a couple. Well, look what Jesus said. You know this one. This is Matthew 18, 20. What did he say? For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. When God's people are together, we are Jesus with skin on. That's why it says in Romans 12, beginning in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We're members one of another. Some of you are like a hand. Some of you are like an eye. Some of you are like a foot. I'm kind of like the mouth. Doesn't ever stop, right? It just goes and goes, right? But we all have a place in the body. I'm excited on uh, December, the second Sunday in December when we take the Lord's Supper. Here's what we're going to focus on that Sunday. We're going to remember Christ's body. Now, many people think about that in terms of an intellectual, cosmic remembering. Every time the body comes together, we remember. What's the opposite of remember? Dismember. We are going to remember. We're going to celebrate that we have been remembered, brought together for God's glory as his family. To receive his, those elements and to celebrate the fact that we've been saved to be God's people. And we are to comfort one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The life and love we share in the fellowship of God's people comforts us and gives us God's courage. Those of you who've been around here for long know that September 11th is a very diff difficult day for me, not only because of what happened to our nation, but in 1993, one month into ordination, a horrific event happened on a trip where I was in charge, led to a, a horrific lawsuit. And honestly, on that Saturday night, September the 11th, 1993, I was giving up, I was quitting, I was done. 
And God wrestled with me that night. And I showed up to church that next morning. And I was astounded. Because there were men there who had known me since I'd been saved. Who came and just basically said, we're here for you. You're not going to go through this alone. We care about you. Since that time, I cannot tell you, I've got a group of men I meet with. I have elders. I have wonderful brothers in Christ. And throughout my life, it's been the body of Christ that has blessed me. Friends, if you are not active in the body of Christ, two terrible things are happening. One, you're not receiving the blessing of others. And the sin is that they're not receiving the blessing from you. You're withholding what you're meant to give. See, when, when we are God's people and we love each other, there's courage in that. What did Paul do? He saw these brothers and it says, and Paul gained God's courage. He was encouraged. There was courage. Now, if you'll go to the end of Acts 28, what you'll see is that Paul did go under house arrest. He did preach in Rome. We know through his epistles and, 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 and other sources of history that the Apostle Paul did go on more missionary journeys and, and believed to have made it all the way to Spain. At the end of his life, Paul penned a letter, prisoned, old, cold, tired, but courageous. These were the last words that we know the, the Apostle penned. This is 2 Timothy 4, verse 17. <laughs> but the Lord stood by me. Remember, <laughs> the Lord has stood by him many times. So here he is at the end. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He soon entered into heaven after pinning those words with God's courage. Not because he was this brilliant, although he was, not because he, he, was, he was somebody that, that was, was just talented, although he was. He had God's courage because he had the comfort of God's people. He had confidence and he believed in the resurrection of Jesus. And he had the comfort of God's people around him, even in the darkest cell when he knew he was soon about to die. Friends, I don't know what you're going through, but here's what I know. God's word is true. God is sovereign. You're responsible to trust him. And if you'll do it, you will experience God's courage in biblical reality. Outside of it, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss reality. You're going to live in a pretend world where you're in control or other humans or other people are in control. And you're going to miss it. And you're going to be miserable. Stop. Wake up. God's word is true. God is sovereign. You're responsible. Trust him. Give your life to him. Obey him. Rely on him. And you will have life in the kingdom of God. Let's stand together. Care leaders, if you would, come forward. 
Father God, we thank you that you are sovereign, and we thank you for your word that is true, that is the basis of, of all things that are true. And we know that we are responsible, God. And I know that there are some who are here today that have not yet repented and believed the gospel. They've not yet given their life to you, Lord Jesus, and, and staked their entire existence on your resurrection. And I pray today will be the day of their salvation. They'll come and talk with some of these leaders about how they can experience who you are and what you do. Lord, I, I know that many of us here, we, we're struggling with things that we're facing as Paul did. But Lord, we can trust you. And your courage is all we need. So would you hear the prayers of some who come today to say, help me, Lord. Help me to believe. Give me your courage. You're a good God, and so we praise you for it. And we ask that you would hear us as we cry out to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh. 
your hope and faith in your God. And as we do that, we will be able to see even more clearly the goodness of our God. Thank you guys for being here this morning. You guys are dismissed.